bowels of the Horror Press estate, and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Press Podcast, a podcast brought to you by HorrorPress.com. My name is James Michael, and I'm the curator of all things Horror Press. As always, this show aims to bring you the latest horror news you may have missed or overlooked, a place to quickly cover the happenings of the horror world, whether that's studio announcements, movie releases, or box office numbers, as well as some light genre discussion. So today I'm joined by Roger Connors from Rising Pulse Productions, hot off the heels of Phase 3 of the Indiegogo fundraiser for Meat. Hey Roger, how are you? Fabulous. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be so, a guest on your show. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like it's a long time coming. We've been talking for a while, at least like a year, I think. We've been talking for a while. You've been supporting Meat from like pretty much like right right when it like hit social media with our first kind of push of social media promo um and just visuals in general i I, you were responsive which i really appreciated um and then i like strangely moved to new jersey which i know you're in new jersey uh, and like we never got a chance to connect but we were always striving for it so i'm super bummed about that so this has like definitely been in the works for a while um because we at least had to have a virtual proper virtual meeting if not actually in person yeah, it's weird because we've been DMing. I, we've even texted a bit and um, maybe maybe in Ohio at some point because I do travel out there quite a bit. So I, yeah. I visit Medina and Cleveland. I don't know if you know where that's at. Well, I, I live in Cleveland and I have filmed in Medina. A lot of R- uh, fil- chill, really? the, chill the Killing Games, a lot of it was filmed in Medina. Medina. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the first time I went out there, I swore it was Medina and everyone would fucking correct me that it's Medina. Well, I think Cleveland in like that area in general has like a very specific accent. Like I know I have it. Like my voice is not easy to listen to. (laughs) It's shrill. It's like hard A's. All of our eyes, like Akron. I don't know if you're familiar with Akron, Ohio. Everyone else would say Akron. But we say Akron because we're from Cleveland. So it could be that. Akron, there's Canton that I know of. Um, There's a lot of haunted shit out there too. It's like a very spooky area. I, I think I went to Mansfield, like a haunted house out there. Um, it's a cool area, though. Yeah, yeah. We, well, you know, Ohio, I think, has the highest volume of haunted houses. I think overall, like in the country, I'm pretty sure Ohio has the most. Um, I may be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me on that. But um, yeah, like like for sure, like there's lots of like lore and like mythology. Like that. <laughs> there's yeah. so much shit about Ohio that's creepy. It's probably because most of it's just fucking cornfields and religious extremists, and so that's probably like what it stems from. Um, but yeah, I mean, I that's I think that's definitely been a huge influence for me, just like becoming a fan of horror. Is like I always grew up with like stories and tales and mythology of like these the surrounding area the melon heads the mothman that's like right on the border of of ohio and west virginia like a gore orphanage is another like you know ohio myth there's so many of them and it's all just very like spooky creepy it's all like very like urban legend you know so before we get into me um <laughs> rebirth Oh, <laughs> I, I actually rewatched Rebirth last night. Really? I, was I not did. Yeah, for this. it's it's up on Tubi for everyone to know. And it's this really cool kind of like a remake of Night of the Living Dead. You filmed you had to have filmed that in Ohio, right? Because I feel like I saw in the graveyard in the opening scene, there was something Ohio related. I'm pretty sure that cemetery isn't medina Medina, no way i'm pretty sure that's too coincidental no i swear to god and it's because the 
one of the sources for a lot of my locations, whenever I need like rural or, or you know, like kind of like that kind of vibe, um, especially like in the fall, autumn in, in Ohio in general is really beautiful. So I try to do like lots of like rural landscapes and obviously the cemetery opening a night of living dead, you got to honor like the classic material. And so I wanted a really specific look for it. And my contact that I have for a lot of these locations is in Medina. And, and I'm pretty sure she was married to like the mayor of Medina for a multitude of years. Like he was the mayor forever. So it is Medina, at least in that area. If it, it could very well be dead in Medina, if not like I'm trying to think there's a few like small, like townships around Medina as well. It might've been one of those, but it's super close to that area. Uh, and it very much feels Ohio. And it like, yes, the whole movie was set in Ohio, Cleveland, Akron, surrounding areas. I really enjoyed it. It was your first movie, I think, right, that you made? So I had AD'd on an array of films. Like, I've been doing this since I was 19. And I've been just, I mean, it's been my passion since the first time I ever stepped on a set. And I normally act, like, I grew up acting. And I just really, like, I enjoy the process behind the scenes. So I AD'd on, like, Chill the Killing Games. I AD'd on several Fright Tech pictures. Um, Like, they, they did Hell Week and... I helped out a lot on American Poltergeist, The Curse of Lilith Ratchet, so I definitely assisted on that project. Um, but I, I, I was hesitant to like jump in and, and like get behind the camera and really like immerse myself. But I'd always wanted to do a retelling of Night of the Living Dead as a fan, and like I wasn't, I don't know, I guess I wanted to do something familiar because I was completely green to doing it on my own, you know. And you see so many actors who are like, I'm going to be a director, and like. I was just like, is this something I'm cut out to do? And so I said, the only way I'm ever going to go forward and do a bigger scale project is if I can do this and I can get it done and I can make it coherent and I can actually get it out there and seen by people. So the people who involve themselves in this project have something rewarding, then I will worry about my sophomore effort. And so I really pushed myself through a really long experience. I mean, it took us like seven years to get that film done, but it was very green. Like I, I literally did it on my own, like with a really core, awesome team, like Noelle By Hansen, who uh, was our cinematographer. She was amazing. I'm sorry, Noelle By. Um, she, um, you know, she was pretty much a kind of a one woman crew. I worked with her on Chill the Killing Games, but it was a very small project that kind of just kept growing and growing over time. Um, and I'm shocked that we got it done. Like it really was like a fan film. Never would have thought it would have been something that would have been released in general, like on Tubi and stuff like that. Um, so I'm very proud of what we did. We made it for $8,000. Like it's, it's, I mean, it looks, it, I, the first time I watched it. Okay. The first time I watched it, I thought it looked really good considering, especially like it as like a fan quote unquote made film. It looked really good. All right. Some scenes were actually very pretty. Um, there's a scene where you're going up the staircase and it's like the hallway's all red. It, it's a very beautifully shot movie in some ways and and also somehow you managed to work in there a zombie butthole which i i don't know exactly (laughs) how you um thought that up because i don't think i've ever seen a zombie butthole before in a movie i don't i i can only count on one hand the amount of male butthole i've ever seen in a non-pornographic movie one being in basse which I got to see last year at Brooklyn Horror, and then the other one being in Rebirth, because it, it always catches me by surprise when I see a butthole on screen. You never <laughs> see butthole. 
I bet you I'm going to get a surge of people watching this simply because they're like, you put such emphasis on the butthole, but it's true. And you know what? I'll tell I have a, I have a motivation for everything I did in Rebirth. I'll say this. Night of Living Dead genuinely is my favorite film of all time. Like, I get it. There's people that are mad at me because I made a remake of Night of Living Dead. I'm the only person who did it and retitled my film. I retitled my film because I spoke with... Image 10, you know, the production company behind the original film. Um, I asked them, you know, what is it that would make you comfortable with this being released? And they said they didn't want the words night, living, and dead in it. <laughs> I was like, fine. Nobody else has done that. Anyone else who's made a remake has always written Night of the Living Dead this, Night of the Living Dead that. I dropped Night of the Living Dead for my title. I named it Rebirth. I've never capitalized on that being a title in my film. So I, I didn't think this movie was ever going to be anything beyond a fan film on YouTube. And like, I, that's the genuine, honest truth. I just want to do it because I love this story so much. I grew up infatuated with it. And I really grew up obsessed with Judith O'Day as Barbara. Like, I've been talking seven, eight, nine, ten as a kid watching this movie. I was obsessed with this character and her demise. Like, it's so against type for the the beautiful blonde that you would get in the 60s. Like, and you get those, those, those movies. Like, she's always the damsel in distress who is the one that, like, survives, you know? And she's such a tragic and violent death. And so I was really really obsessed with this film and I carried that with me for a really long time and so I felt really moved to retell the story and I knew if I did it like I can't make it the same thing but I need to prove to people that I know at least what I'm talking about so there's so many little details like Adam's jacket um choices that are made by some of the characters do you still have the raincoat that you wear i grew out of it and i, I definitely got rid of it I, I had two versions of it i got bigger. there were two versions of the ring i grew over the, <laughs> the period i got i was a well, twink it, at the beginning of it seven years so I, it's like seven years of, of growth in all aspects so yeah i definitely like you could see my weight gain over the course of that movie for sure but um but no, I like I wanted to be really intentional with everything I did with it. So I think when you see like I mean, truthfully, the butthole, yes, it's shocking. I mean, of course it is. But when you think of Night of the Living Dead, one of the the moments in that film that was very groundbreaking at the time is you had full frontal female nudity. You have a zombie that is walking around, she's a corpse, and it it's not sexualized. It's just terrifying because how often do you see naked people just fucking wandering the streets unless they're completely you know, in a delusional state or a zombie. And so um, I wanted to do my own version of that. And this is a film with queer themes. You know, it, it's definitely got major queer themes. Romero was a social commentary master. Um, and so I wanted to carry that social commentary through my rendition and make it modern and fresh. But I wanted to acknowledge that nudity. And so I had all these moments of full frontal male nudity scattered throughout the film. Um, I had this footage where we have a zombie buff. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to cut it. And my, my team, both of which are straight men said, dude, they're like, go full butthole, like go well, full butthole. And I didn't, in a way back then it was shocking to see a nude female figure on the screen. Exactly. And what in modern times would be just as shocking other than a male butthole, because you exactly. don't see that. You don't even Dick. Now you see it like a, a, a splattering of Dick all over cinema these days. Everyone's dicks out. It's the big thing for male actors to show their Dick, but how many actors have, have shown, shown their butthole? Full butthole. And like, you know what? It's a, I'm proud of that butthole. And I hope that my fans appreciate that butthole for reasons that are not just erotic, <laughs> but are also genuinely <laughs> like good for him that he went full butthole. What goes rebirth. into like, 
the scene with the butthole? Like, do you have to talk with the actor to say, like, listen, you got to prep. We, we don't want to have to part the hairs when it's on screen. Do you narrate, it? Or is it just whatever? Just go with it. Uh, so, There's no prep? It I mean, just I, happens? I, I mean, the, the gentleman came prepared. I guess. <laughs> But so, so the actor, a professional. I mean, what a what a guy. Um, he's there, and there, there's and it's a genuinely creepy scene where you have all these corpses from the morgue eating the morgue attendant, um, and so there's just nudity all over the place. And so as we're moving the camera around, we're filming a sequence from a distance that I didn't even notice. I didn't have a full size monitor on that on that day. So I didn't even know that I had a butthole in my shot. Like, I mean, I knew the angle, but I thought like the shadows had just consumed the details. <laughs> so it's not until we sat down and looked at like the footage and we're like, Oh shit. We're like, God, like we can't use this, this butthole. But after a second thought, we're like, maybe we can. So we, t- I mean, I talked to the actor. I said, listen, my friend, I said, you already, <laughs> you're already, Schlong to the wind in my film. There's a shot I really want to use, but your ball is in it. <laughs> and without a second thought, he was like, go for it, man. And I was like, you are a, just a pro. And I was really appreciative that he was so chill about consummate it. Consummate professional. A consummate professional. He's coming back for a cameo in me. Um, and, <laughs> and he's always welcome on my set any day. So th- I want to thank him. I'm not saying his name because I don't know if he wants me to be just blabbering about his his butthole <laughs> to the world but he's he really uh he stepped up to the plate <laughs> that day it's something he should be proud of for an array of reasons so yeah yeah full bubble so, back to the lighting though the lighting in the movie is actually very well done was that intentional accidental it just worked out that way because some scenes are i'm telling you i'm not blowing smoke up your ass some scenes were very very pretty and that's all noel by and and honestly like I'll say this, you know, Noelle has stepped away from working behind the camera, which is a bummer. I don't know if you've ever seen Chill the Killing Games. It's one of, like, my earlier films. And it's it's a slasher that's very much, like, in the vein of, like, I don't know, like, a stage fright. Or, like, you know, you've got a bunch of people trapped in a school um, who are being picked off. But, you know, she did a lot with a really tiny budget with that film. And I think Re- Rebirth was like her, like on top of her game. Um, and I think a lot of the references that we wanted to use were very much, again, in honor of like Romero. Romero was a fan of like harsh shadows, and just shadow play in general. Like on the original set of Night of Living Dead, they would, you know, take, they would cut into pieces of paper, like cut them into sheets of different shapes and sizes and use them to like create shapes of shadow play on the walls where you couldn't tell exactly what it was, but it would cut really harsh lines across people's faces and things like that. It's all over Night of the Living Dead. The shadow play is phenomenal in that movie. So I knew like one thing I wanted to do with the film was, well, I didn't want to do a black and white film. The color palette's more inspired by like an Argento or like demons, like the movie Demons, Uh, lots of like reds and things like that. I did know I wanted to maintain the shadow play. So we purposely like used a lot of similar tricks that they used in the original film and just got weird with it. Um, and I think a lot of the reasons like some of the scenes do work or look more dramatic is because they're like very like bathed in shadow and just darkness, which intensifies a lot of those moments. Well, I'm hoping to see some of that like stylish stuff translate into meat because one of the first things that caught my eye with meat was how unique it looked, how well packaged everything was um, from start to finish. It has been 
a very beautiful set of pieces that you've been putting out. Going off of your Indiegogo now, I know you've surpassed 50% at this point funded. Congratulations. I really hope to see that this project gets fully funded because I really think Meat deserves the full amount so that you can get it done. Let's get Meat funded. <laughs> because I really think with with a good budget, you could really hit it out of the park. Because if you were able to make Rebirth happen on seven dollars $8,000, I can only imagine what you can do with Meat because it looks incredible from what I've seen so far. Thank you for saying that. It means a lot. Um, I think like one thing for me that's always been like a driving force as like a filmmaker wanting to pursue anything behind the camera is like I'm, I'm picky as shit. I'm so picky. I'm very critical, mostly of myself. Um, but like with independent film too, like I have a certain – I want to take away a certain experience from any piece of cinema that I watch. I want it to feel cohesive. I want it to feel well thought out. I want it to feel like it has artistic vision. You know, I'm not somebody who can sit down and watch something that's slapped together and intentionally like bottom of the barrel, not really giving any effort. I'm not, I'm not going to take joy away from that. I know there's people that do and I completely get it. Um, but I'm really looking for like a cinematic experience in anything that I watch. Um, and I want to take something away from it. So when it comes to my own work, I'm, I'm very, um, picky i'm very harsh on myself and i i i mean it's something that my someone i used to work with for years he always called it the gay eye gays for the most part all the gays i know are like so like they want like the best of the best like we, we want like we want to eat the best food we want to have the nice things whenever we go and move into an area we always make it nicer like i don't know it's just like the, the influence and the impact that gays have on certain things is because they have a certain level of standards and i think that translates to not only like what i want from my own cinema but also like the cinema that I'm going to present to queers, I know there's a certain standard that I have to live up to. And so I think I'm really a stickler for certain things and meet like the beginning of developing the start of, of this whole process was really like an extremely artistic one. Like, you know, all of the early promo shoots we did, like, yeah, we did them to circulate buzz, but we were doing that to also like establish our look and our, like just our overall, like our lighting, our, again, our shadow play, like our color palette, like the photos that you saw were very much the conceptual visuals that were being done to help us because that is how the movie is going to look. And I think like, you know, we recently dropped our teaser with our Indiegogo, which you're correct, has hit 50% within the first week, which I'm kind of blown away by because we haven't seen that level of support up till this point, we've definitely seen support and we're so appreciative of it. But now it's clear to me that meat is starting to catch on with a certain fan base. So that's really awesome because it makes me feel like. I'm really happy and glad to hear that because I really think your project deserves it. Thank um, you. I, I feel like I've been following it for a while since the beginning, at least since the beginning of the public stuff. And I really think you do deserve success with it just because I've seen like the struggle you've gone through and, um, it's hard. I know it's your art and I know you have high standards, but I think in the end you'll have a very beautiful finished product to show for it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've, I've given this thing my all, like this is that project for me that, you know, this will make or break a lot of things. I mean, I took out a, a, a massive loan like for this film, like, yeah, I've, I've seen support through our last two Indiegogos. We've raised about 15,000 through that, not including the one that we're in now, but this film is going to be, probably around a hundred thousand dollar film by the end of this. And then I have 
put so much of my own money into this. And like I said, I took on a massive loan to see it through to completion. And it, and a lot of what we're raising through the crowdfunding is just the fact that I can't bleed anymore into this movie, but I care about it more than anything. Like it is my driving force in life. I believe in it so much. I think it's important as a queer to have at least a queer horror fan, um, to have representation you know, I want to see it in all genres, but how often do you truly see it in horror and how often is it crafted by other queer people? Like I know you've interviewed or had some guests on before other queer filmmakers who are, who are really like trailblazers right now. I love that you focus some of these other filmmakers because there's only so few of us and we're trying to make cinema for what, what is really a, a pretty large fan base. Like the queer horror fan base is a big one. Um, and it's about time that we see ourselves represented in some of these films. It's so rare that we get that experience. So it's important to me. Um, and the story that's told in the movie is important to me. So yeah, it's, it's been a very harrowing experience, but it's been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. I'm so proud of it. And I hope with that trailer, like I really hope people see like, again, level of standards that I have for my work. I hope it came out there because I'm very proud of that teaser. And that's just like a taste of what's coming of meat. I agree. And um, to the listeners, if you haven't watched the teaser yet, definitely check it out. A couple surprises are in there. I, I mean, I knew Pandora Box was, was going to be in it, but it's still really cool to see her on screen in one of your projects. What is it like to work with Pandora? Oh, she was lovely. I mean, like, and I, I feel like you, you want to go into these things, you're going into experience. So, of course, you're thinking that someone's going to be like, oh, it was great. But, like, I genuinely, like had a wonderful experience just talking with her. Like she was just positive, excited, sweet, enthused. Like I, I couldn't be more genuine about these compliments. Um, she's SAG. So right now, like she's unable to promote anything. And it's such a bummer. Cause like we were talking the other day and she's very thrilled with the trailer and everything, but um, she's not able to talk about it, you know? And that's, that's tough for, I have a lot of friends who are SAG who, who are unable to do any form of promotion. I was just ho hosting the Houston Horror Film Festival a couple weeks back and I had all these panels that were planned. I was going to interview the cast of Halloween. I was going to interview um, the cast of urban legend. Tara Reed was going to be there. The SAG thing hit and a bunch of people had to drop and the people that who weren't dropping could only sign personal headshots. They couldn't sign memorabilia or merchandise related to the film. And they were not allowed to talk about the projects because it's considered they're marketing their product. They're not allowed to right now because of the strike. So um, I love Pandora. I can't wait for us to kind of move through this event, this, this very important, um, movements that that's happening with SAG right now. Um, I am though enthused for her to finally be able to share her thoughts on it because I, I genuinely think that she had a wonderful experience as well. Um, but I, I just, I couldn't have been happier. She was just absolutely wonderful. Um, and I, I hope to have an experience to work with her again. She was just so great. Yeah. I can only imagine. So is there is there a favorite tier from your Indiegogo that like out of everything, cause you, you have a lot with very colorful labels. Um, is there one in particular that to you like just sings? I mean, well, I'm the jockstrap. <laughs> the jockstrap perk I think is unique because it's a jockstrap, but it's going to be signed and it will be signed by several of the key cast members. Um, including we have, adult film star AJ Sloan coming out to film a scene. If you don't think he's getting butt cheek naked in this movie, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Let me say again. <clears throat> if you don't think I'm not going to be featuring this man nude, you're absolutely wrong. 
um, because he is gorgeous and, a, and an adult film star. And like, he's, he's going to come out and really add something to my movie. So I'm thrilled. I actually, I grew up with him doing theater with him. And I was like, Hey man, I understand where you're at with your career right now. I think it's fucking awesome. And I think this is the vehicle for you. And he was so uh, gracious and humble and uh, was all for it. So I'm really excited to work with him. But so the jockstrap perk, I think is going to be awesome because it's just so unique, but also like it's kind of kinky. But then also the men of meat calendar. So last year I did this perk and I did it as a specialty perk. And it's the only thing that's gone out yet because it was on a time frame. You know, obviously it's a calendar. Um, Because everything else is slated to go out after the final phase of the campaign. All the perks go out at once, all the t-shirts and everything. Because we have so much promo going on, like, I want to make sure people are getting the best of the best of the best with their their final perks. But this calendar, I I did do a a release of, a very small release of it, only for people who contributed on that level last year. And I got it done. I was like, I didn't expect this thing to come out as fucking kick-ass as it was. But it was like, the, the quality, the visuals, it was just so awesome it's like the size of a fully developed four-year-old child this calendar is so fucking big and (laughs) and the visuals are just hot i mean like the movie's called meat there has to be a certain amount of eye candy in this film you know and and let me tell you that calendar (laughs) it is it is one of the my favorite things that we've done with the movie so far so we're doing a, a, a a volume two a men of meat volume two calendar for 2024 and i am i am sure that if the last one was as good as it was this one's going to be even hotter. I mean, we have so much more material, so many more visuals to play around with. And it's just going to be a bunch of hot dudes just hanging around with killers and jock straps looking, looking like slabs of meat. All right. So for everyone listening, just make sure to check out the Indiegogo. Support Roger. It's a really fun, cool project. It's very stylish. Get your jock straps. I don't know what they're going to do with them once I get them. I don't, do, you, do you hang that? Do you put it like in a frame? Like, what do you do with it? <laughs> my <laughs> my partner's lovely parents who are like from brazil <laughs> my my partner's parents were like we want to contribute a hundred dollars to the movie so they like do they get jock straps that, well that's like, like, like that's like the dilemma like i'm like like technically they they do but like maybe i'll just like upgrade them but then other people would want to upgrade so i'm like i kind of feel like i just <laughs> lightly like send them a signed job scrap and they're like this is what you get um but yeah i picture it framed like someplace prominent i don't know like like a shadow box over yes like over like a fireplace like imagine like proudly the sign uh, maybe like in, a, in, in like the mansion's library just as a bookend So let's let's start off with our first news segment. So the Exorcist moved from October, Friday the 13th, to Friday, October 6th, because of the Taylor Swift concert movie. It's such a shame, just because, I mean, other than the Exorcist not looking very strong, but to see the Exorcist on Friday the 13th in October would be such a good, like, perfect date for it. Taylor Swift kind of ruined that for everyone. I honestly couldn't care less about this new exorcist i'm one of those i mean the reviews are coming in terribly like people are shitting all over it i mean like it's like like why i don't i don't understand the purpose other than having sweet ellen bursting back whom i'll watch any day of the week um i think 
my my really big issue here lies with the fact that truthfully I don't I don't enjoy the the reboots the Halloween reboots from 2018 on I I hate them I hate everything they did with the storyline um, I don't love like the idea of retconning something over and over and over my perfect Halloween trilogy is one two H2O like that's my trilogy. I don't really need anything else from it, but I'm open to see other interpretations. But to go back and like remove one of my favorite elements from the Halloween lore, which is Halloween 2 and the revelations that come from it, which gave it so much more heft, in my opinion, his motivations, to now like go back and like to then go back and have Laurie like kind of a completely different character whom he does not seem interested in at all. Like, by the way, like, let's be, let's be clear. Like, he now just doesn't care about Laurie, but she's obsessed with him. So this whole thing that they did with the storyline, I thought felt like sloppy babies, especially as you went from Halloween to Halloween kills to Halloween ends. Like, as the storyline carried on, I was like, I just, I don't feel like they have a clear end goal in mind. I think they're just kind of throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks and, and so I'm really like, I'm, I'm very much not a fan of the Halloween reboots. So when it was announced that they were doing this exorcist, I was like, oh my God, like, let's see what happens. I'm going to try to be optimistic. But and they Blumhouse is rebooting it. Well, right. And like, they released this trailer and I'm like, oh man, like it just, it couldn't look less glossy and Hollywoodified if they tried. Like, you know, the, the original... Exorcist has a grittiness to it and a level of discomfort. And there's just like this weird, like just surreal, unnatural energy to that film. This like just watching this new trailer, it just looks like something that just got pumped out of manufacturing pumped out of by some Hollywood studio. And I feel like they just give they couldn't give two shits about the original source material. So I'm like I'm I'm not even like optimistic that they're gonna like prove me wrong, because you're right, the reviews coming back are so like hostile and scathing <laughs> like i'm like oh fuck like let's just get this over with you know the, the part that really rubs me the wrong way though is like why did taylor swift have to take friday the 13th in october like why why do that why does she have to take anything honestly <laughs> i mean god damn it that tour has amassed so much fucking money from people like do you do you need to make more off of it i'm sure it's gonna make a billion dollars i'm well, sure it's gonna make so much did you see money. amc was shut down when tickets went on sale, like you had to get in queue, like it was a goddamn iPhone, to get a ticket on that day. And like you went on there for anything else. The moment you just go to AMC, you were put in a queue, regardless of what you wanted to see. And the the tickets weren't refundable either. Once you bought them, you bought them. That's it. Like I don't, I don't understand what experience people are going to take away from this. Like a concert is a live experience and it's thrilling. And, you know, I love live music, but like sitting down in a theater and just watching someone singing on a bigger screen than usual. Like, I don't know. I just, whatever. You know what? There's plenty of people out there who love Taylor Swift. I'm dating I'm one guessing of them. That this may be for like the people that didn't want to spend $3,000 a seat, like for the families with like 500 little girls. But I'm sure there's a lot of Swifties that are just going to see it to see it all over again. I don't know. It just feels so weird that she would do Friday the 13th in October. It does. Like, you could have had any other Friday. Well, and it's like, that's such a seasonal period for cinema in general to come out. Like, it seems like so 
ideal, you know? I mean, like, how often do you get a Friday the 13th in general, let alone being October, Friday the 13th? Like, come on. Like, let let the genre capitalize on it. But, I mean, uh, her marketing team probably, like, strategically planned that date for I don't fucking know. Like, whatever reason. Probably because it's trying to get cold. People are going inside. They want to have some way to be entertained. And, you know, it just seemed like the right move for them. I just, I think that's kind of, yeah, I think it's kind of shitty. Especially because this has been such a good year for horror cinema in general. And October is like the best time for it to really thrive. Like you think you would want to give the genre it's like moment in the spotlight. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird too that Blumhouse even moved it because I can't imagine many people that were going to see the exorcist saying like, oh, I'd rather go see the Taylor Swift concert instead. Like you're still going to see the exorcist. It's two completely different audiences. And I, that did baffle me as well. But oh, like overall, I don't think they anticipate it doing well in general. Like, I don't feel like it's going to do very well. Like, the people that would be seeking out an Exorcist remake do not seem impressed by what they've seen. And, like, any other fans are probably going to be going to see Taylor Swift. Like, any other cinema fans, that is. Like, I mean, if that's that big of an event, they're probably going to be turning their attention to that. So, like, the fan base is not seeking it out. I can't think of anybody that's excited to see this fucking movie. Other casual viewers are, are just, I don't know, like, it just doesn't seem like it has a draw to it at all. I, I foresee it's going to go straight to streaming on, like, Paramount Plus or something very quick. Um, or whatever streaming service Blumhouse uses. I don't know if it's, like, Hulu or whatever, but that trailer does suck. And those reviews are ugly. It's ugly. such a bummer that they got say about it. her to come back and... Like, she's such, like, a just skilled, capable actress, Ellen, you know? Like, to bring her back into the mythology, that first movie was just such a landmark. And, like, now some people kind of will, like, shit on it sometimes, being like, it's not that scary. Like, go fuck yourself. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm I'm one of those people. Go, go, go. Okay. Really? Why? <laughs> I, I grew up in Catholic school. So, to me, like... It's like the ultimate sacrilege to to hear someone say like your mother sucks cock in hell. Like to me, it was like tee hee hee hee. I don't. I never thought that kind of stuff was scary, so it never really hit me that way. We're we're like roughly the same age, so I remember when they did the re release in the two thousands or whatever it was like the version you never seen, and I snuck in to see it, and I was like, this is this is so like sacrilegious and delicious and wonderful. Now I read the book. The book terrified me, and um, but the movie not so much. You know, I also grew up in Catholic school. Like, I went to Catholic grade school. I went to Catholic high school. And um, I think that's, on the flip side, I think that's why it affects me so much. Um, Because I did grow up in a household that was very, like, strict Catholic, very taboo. You didn't talk about certain things. Same thing. So I think, like, the idea of the exorcist was always presented whenever my family talked about it being like the scariest thing possible because they think they're like, there really is an evil force. There is the devil. These things do exist and they have a genuine, I don't say they necessarily believe it, but they, they respect all elements of, of Catholic. I mean, I'm going to say mythology because I no longer believe these things, but you know, like all of those ideals and everything, I think there's such a level of respect and fear embedded in people. So I grew up, believing that I was scared of those things. I loved movies like stigmata, you know, like, cause it was really tapping into something that I had a ton of exposure to. So when I first saw the exorcist and I genuinely had a belief that 
the devil is real and this is something that's possible. Like that terrified the shit out of me. I genuinely thought those things could happen. I was like, I want to be friends with Pazuzu. What, the devil's cool. Like he did nothing wrong. I want to be on their team. That was me in middle school. And the nuns hated me. Like I had a priest that would take me out of class once a week and force me to do confessions because he said that I was like the devil. And to me, it was at that point, it was just like rebellion, just exorcists in general. I don't, I, I thought Pazuzu was a cool character. And to me, like the idea of this mystical being that was there, or if you believed he was there, I don't know, a cool friend. Until he fucking takes over your body and <laughs> proc- I mean, puts you on life support. Like that, that <laughs> child was ravaged by the end of that film. Like she wasn't having a good time. Reagan wasn't having a good time. That girl was spider walking down staircases. She was living the dream. <laughs> I mean, I am curious what dreams <laughs> you are Listen, looking to live. Just a very nice long nap. I mean, who fighting priests? We can all use a good long nap. All right, so Pet Cemetery's Bloodlines is getting a release on October 6th. Um, it got rated R for horror, violence, gore, and language. Um, it's set to premiere on Paramount Plus. Um, are we surprised by this? I feel like Pet Cemetery has been kicking around in production for forever. I completely forgot about it, and then all of a sudden they just dropped it on us October 6th, the same day that The Exorcist is coming out. Here's the deal with, with Pet Cemetery anything, and I'm like, again, I'm not shitting on anybody, but I, again, I really couldn't care less about Pet Cemetery bloodlines. Like, even the title, I'm like, God, it's just screaming direct to DVD. The only thing about it that has me at all intrigued is the, the presence of one Pam Greer, whom I think is phenomenal in anything she does, and I had the pleasure of having my hair and makeup done beside her on the set of Cleveland abduction, which is about those girls that got locked in that basement for like 16 years. So and I met Pam Greer and we hug out and she was awesome. So I'll watch anything she does. Um, but overall, like I just, I don't, I mean, do I need to see this story? It's kind of interesting that it's a prequel, I guess, I set know. in the sixties. Yeah. But I, I mean, the movie wasn't even that good. The, the remake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like really milking something that doesn't need to be milked. Like, I didn't think that the Pet Cemetery remake had that big of a fan base. Like, was it screaming for a prequel? I certainly wasn't asking for it. I mean, I don't know. Are you somebody that was curious about the storyline behind the Pet Cemetery remake? No. No. And I, the premise in general of Pet Cemetery never really intrigued me. I mean, so you got a zombie cat that just shows up and starts fucking people up. Um, it's all right. I don't know if there's a Stephen King story that is a prequel, or are they just making this all up? I'm not sure. But I mean, if he did have a I'll sequel... I'll watch it. I'll watch it. It's if, free. If Stephen King did have a, a sequel or a prequel or whatever, I genuinely don't think he would name it Bloodlines. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, think, I really don't think that he ever had a book called Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Okay, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I have other things that have caught my eye lately, things that I know we're going to be talking about. That's the least of my concerns, to be honest. There are other things coming out 
pretty soon that have my attention completely. Uh, let me guess. It's Five Night at Freddy's. I mean, <laughs> bring it the fuck on. Yes. Yes. Like, okay. It's weird. Like, <laughs> But I'm here for weird. I like weird. All right. So our next topic, American Horror Story Delicate. The trailer premiered today, September 7th. Yeah, today. Did you get to watch it? I did. I did. I feel like... So before we get into it too much, mm-hmm. did Kim Kardashian sell you on her acting? Because I'm not sold, even though everyone on Twitter is like, oh, she ate. She's great. And I, she had like three lines. Well, I think it's kind of similar like what they did with Lady Gaga for a, a good portion of of that season when they had her on because she was great, but they really leaned into her strengths. Like Lady Gaga covered in blood. Yeah. Like, okay. But, I buy it. What is Kim Kardashian? Like, she Being seemed like pretty. she was playing herself. She seems she like was- she just stands there looking, looking fucking moody and wearing things that I would expect Kim Kardashian to wear. I don't think they're challenging Kim Kardashian here. I don't think they're like, let's like, let's really test her acting abilities. Um, I don't have an issue with Kim Kardashian, but it's not like a draw for me. I just think she looks pretty doing things. So I guess it makes sense with Ryan Murphy. He likes to things. He likes to make things look at least visually appealing to a certain extent. So she fits right in with what he's trying to do. I'm a little more intrigued by like tapping into like that Rosemary's baby kind of vibe. Cause it's so play, Ryan Murphy too. It's that. so perfect for him. If he plays his cards, right. It could actually be a good season. Come on. <laughs> but you know, he's you know, the weird. Start be aliens. It'll be... start strong, yeah. but it'll probably shit the bed at around episode five or six. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to bring in some weird fucking twist with implants and people, or I don't know. He's, she's going to have a baby and it's a robot. I don't fucking know. Something weird and not really scary. That's my big issue is American Horror Story is often like visually impressive like often it's quite tantalizing to look at or at least a lot of their select shots are but i've never like i've never really found it scary like it's not i thought murder house was was decent asylum to me was was pretty creepy coven wasn't scary at all it was just fun to watch apocalypse that first episode did like give me anxiety just because i i feel like when the apocalypse comes, it's going to be like a nuke or something. And those sirens going off just like terrify me. I don't know. There's something primal about the sound of those like bomb sirens that just like sets me off. Other than that, I really, there's very little that scary from that show. When they first teased it, I really thought it was going to be like black widows where they kill their husbands or something like fun like that, like killer women. But of course he's going to do something with pregnancy and miscarriages and shit like that. You know, I, I think of other short format horror uh, material, or at least like anthology setups. You know, like there's other TV series out there that that do a similar structure. And I look at like something like Slasher, and like several seasons of Slasher have scenes that are genuinely like, terrifying. Like I feel like those are people who know exactly their fan base, like their audience, and like you know they're creating something for fans of slashers, like. American Horror Story, I think, is horror by title alone, and it occasionally does have creepy moments. Like, there are moments that are creepy, visuals that are creepy, 
you're right, Murder House had a lot of visuals that are quite creepy. But, like, I can't name, like, what's the best scare from American Horror Story? Like, I don't know. I'm like, none of it's scary. It's just kind of, it has horror elements, you know? So I don't really, it's I've never looked at dark it dark themes. It's dark. It's dark, but it's not scary. And so it's never, I think that's probably why it's never really had my interest. Because I don't find it to be anything more than just pop culture, you know? Well, she in in the trailer, Kim had some pretty cringe lines. Like, I think one of them was like, do you really want to have this baby or do you want an Oscar or something like that? And I was like, Kim Kardashian has definitely said that to a friend before. For sure. Wait, what if they had like, what if we found out that like Kim's like agreement, her contract was not just like she has to look beautiful in everything. She cannot look like dirty or and like unappealing in any way but she also has to write her own dialogue <laughs> like, her team will be writing kim's dialogue like i feel like that's the case it's not like this is precious where mariah carey had no makeup and like actually like allowed herself to like like r- look rough and tumble playing that social worker like this is kim kardashian as kim kardashian <laughs> in sure. ryan murphy's sure. american horror story she, she- has to be smart though like isn't she a lawyer or something at this point like i don't think she's a dumb girl at all same thing with parcel like i'm sure it's very calculated it's all for a character because we expect her to be that way because of the tv show but i'm sure there's no way she's gonna do something that makes her look ugly no doesn't mean that she's good at it though like i mean okay sure she can do a bunch of shit she also released that music video body (laughs) remember when she was gonna be a pop star and then they're like holy shit like Kim Kardashian and, and they took sing. it down off of Apple Music like within 24 hours. You can't find it anywhere. We're finding that music video. You and I are going to watch it after we're done with this episode. Because... Uh, it's going to be the intro <laughs> song to this podcast. I'm actually, I'm going to recreate the opening of the music video body where she's crawling, like <laughs> covered in baby oil. Like that's going to be me, guys. Full butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Eli Roth, I feel like he can get his own topic just alone. Um, Thanksgiving. Do you know much about this? Listen, and this is what I was talking about earlier because I knew this was coming. If there's one thing that has my interest, it is Eli Roth's fucking Thanksgiving. I've been waiting. Slasher fans have been waiting for a very long time. Grindhouse was what, like 2007, I think? And... Thanksgiving has always had a fan base. You know, anyone who was a fan of that film acknowledges that the trailer for Thanksgiving is one of the finest aspects of of Grindhouse. And it was such like a cock tease, you know, because it has this great idea, this cheesy as fuck idea when you're thinking of like seasonal slashers. Like, yeah, how often do you get Thanksgiving? You had Pilgrim on Hulu, but like you don't have that much. So it's been, it's been ready for the making for so long. And the fact that he just did it. I mean, hats off. I like a lot of what Eli Roth does. I don't love everything, but when he hits it, he normally hits it for me. And I think that this is like, like this is going to be great because he knows his strengths. It's gore. It's extreme gore and pain. And um, I really think he's, it seems like he's leaning into his strong suit here. And I really have high expectations for Thanksgiving. I'm cautiously optimistic only because I don't want to be murdered on Twitter. Eli Roth has this reputation. I saw the trailer today and I thought the trailer looked pretty awesome. It felt like your typical slasher. Gory, excessive, 
the only thing was that it felt like it was lacking that graininess from the Grindhouse preview. Why do people hate Eli Roth so much? I don't get it. Everything I've seen from him has been decent, not bad. I mean, I think, he's kind of like the elevated Rob Zombie. I think the thing with Eli Roth that I, I find a lot of non-fans tend to voice is how like macho and like how much machismo his, his films tend to have. Like even when he writes to female characters, he he's, he's very much writing them through a male gaze. I don't feel like there's many really authentic female characters in Eli Roth directed or produced films with the exception being Lauren Graham in Hostel 2, who I do think is quite phenomenal and a wonderful depiction of not only a female, but also an apparently like a lesbian, I do believe. Um, it, it is heavily implied um, that her character is, is a lesbian in that film. And I thought he actually wrote that quite well, or at least oversaw that quite well. Um, I think that, you know, for the most part, a lot of his characters tend to be underwritten or not fully um realized and you see that in like the green inferno a lot of those characters just felt so disposable uh though the, the setup was great i didn't care a lot about a lot of the people in the film and that made for a, a tough pill to swallow so with this people hated that movie i don't hate it i don't hate it i just think that there's certain elements of it that don't hit as well as they could um i think with a slasher it doesn't matter as much um, as long as his core focal characters have something likable about them, I really hope that he nailed that with this film. Everyone else is disposable, you know? So so I'm hoping that this is, again, working his strong suit um, and that I hope that, you know, maybe he's learned some of his lessons from some of his pa the past complaints he's heard about his films because oftentimes it's the characterization. I agree with you when it comes to Green Inferno because had I liked the characters, I would have had a far different reaction. Because there were point, points when you're like cheering for the natives and none of them, they were all very 2D. They were all NPCs like Sky Ferreira was in that. And I remember she was huge or she was on the trajectory to be huge at that time. Like she was a big sell for that movie and she was completely squandered. Well, like not only and... that, but he gave her a gay, like a, like a gay joke as well. I'm pretty sure she's like, what, is he gay? Like she says something. There's something in her dialogue. And I'm like, God, like that's so tone deaf. Not just like for him at this point, but also like she has a pretty big queer following. And I just didn't feel like, he. I, again, I don't think he wrote to her strengths. Like she was so wasted. Plus it's like, if you don't like the characters, you don't care about what happens to them. And seeing these people brutally murdered which i honestly think that they didn't go as far as he was acting like they were gonna go because he was playing it up like it was this cannibal holocaust type thing it was going to be so extreme and people are going to be losing their minds while they're watching it and i don't remember it being that bad like it was bad of course but nowhere near to the amount that he hyped it the whole scene of them being brought into the village you know like this whole procession where they're rubbing the red dust all over all of them it's terrifying but it, it loses some of its impact because it goes a little too, like, a little too just far out. Like, again, the fire ants, like, all digital. It just doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel very natural to the film. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it just it, it didn't give me the full experience I wanted. I like the movie, though. I'm not going to completely tear it apart. But I, I think that it had a lot of very just, like, unlikable characters in it and even like how the movie ended and everything like that cliffhanger note 
like the character I like least of all, like is now like still alive and out for vengeance, I guess. Like where the fuck did that come from? And I don't know. I think that sometimes he's a little bit tone deaf. I'm really hoping Thanksgiving, it doesn't fucking matter. I hope he just writes a, a solid slasher and we just see a shit ton of people get their fucking faces frozen to doors or whatever the fuck it is. Like, goddamn, the gore in that trailer looks very promising. It's promising. It honestly, for the longest time, I kept hearing people talk about Thanksgiving and I was like, going to be whack. And um, I saw the first image of it. I was like, okay. And then I saw the, the teaser trailer, the full trailer, whatever it was today. And I was pretty impressed. I know either way I'm going to be watching it. So excited. I'll still complain though. Probably. That's why you have a blog. Like (laughs) you have to, like you've got to find something to bitch about. Right. That's what keeps, that's what keeps the articles going. You know, surprisingly, I don't, very few of our writers bitch because when i hire them i always give them this speech i'm like listen i only hire geeks horror geeks to geek is to love to nerd is to hate i don't want horror nerds i want horror geeks because i feel like getting a movie out is a feat regardless and a lot of blood sweat and tears and love goes into it so i don't want to shit on anything in general unless it's like a blumhouse like he doesn't care he's not gonna he's not gonna lose any sleep but for like the smaller movies, like you got to look at the craft and all the, the time that went into it. You can't just shit all over it. I, I refuse to get into that. But for like a big name Blumhousey type movie, um, I think the only one we've really ever poo pooed was the recent Conjuring oh. with Patrick Wilson. I think that that is probably one of the few that we've ever said we didn't really like it. The Red Door. But again, Patrick Wilson, he's like, who could. He's, he doesn't care. So while we're on the topic of Thanksgiving, do you have any favorite holiday movies? Uh, absolutely. I love holiday horror. Um, I really have a soft spot for like Christmas themed horror. Um, I am obsessed with the original Black Christmas. It's one of my, my favorites. Um, my co-host for Dark Knight of the Podcast, Troy Escamilla, um, it's his favorite film of all time. So we do talk about it quite often. It comes up. Um, but I'm also a huge fan of the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. I think it's a fucking phenomenal slasher. I'm so happy it's finally receiving some love these days because, like, it. it I think it delivers in so many ways. It's one of my favorites. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I, I love, 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 love holiday uh, horror. Uh, let me think of one a little more obscure because those seem like so standard. Um, I love All Through the House. Tom Nunes, um, indie killer Santa. Um, but just, you know, when, when you think about like what you want to take away from an indie horror film, like I think they really knock it out of the park, high body count, lots of gore, practical, like really, really enjoy the experience of watching that film. There was a bunch of Santa movies last year, killer Santa movies. Um, we got the one with Hopper, the guy from stranger things. I'm forgetting his, his like real name. And then we got the one with the killer Santa robot that was on shutter. Did you watch that one? I did see Violent Night in theaters starring David Harbour as uh, Santa. It's not really like horror, but it, it did give you like, you know, a lot of good kills. I actually really enjoyed it. John Leguizamo's in that. What a surprise. John Leguizamo like had a few winners last year. He had The Menu. Did he? Yeah, he's in The Menu. Remember? Like he had a few genre films that actually like were pretty big for him. Like Violent Night did pretty okay in the box office. 
Um, and I know the menu was a pretty big film. You know, yeah. I actually didn't love it. Like I liked it. I didn't love it as much as some people, but I enjoyed the experience of watching it. And I thought he was great in it. So I was really happy to see him have like a moment because I love John Leguizamo. Um, but yeah, Violent Night, I, I liked it quite a bit. I really enjoyed seeing it in theaters. Um, I did not see the, the Killer Santa Robot movie. I'm aware of it. Um, I'll have to catch it. <laughs> it's fun. It's not bad. And it's I, if I remember correctly, it's pretty short. I have a thing for lighting. The lighting is really nice in it. It's, it's very like Jalo-esque. Um, it's literally just a killer robot that runs around murdering people. That's yeah. it. What more could I ask for? Especially yeah. if he's dressed as Santa. My favorite holiday movie of all time is Dial Code Santa. Love that movie. Have you ever seen it? No, it's just so obscure. Like, I'll add it to my list. But tell me it about Dial this, Code Santa. like, late 80s, maybe early 90s French movie where this little kid that's filthy fucking rich is living in a mansion. It's Christmas Eve. And his mom works at, like, whatever is the French equivalent of Macy's. And she, like, owns it. And she fires some like hobo Santa and he decides to get vengeance by hacking into an ATM to find out where she lives. This is all very like, doesn't make any sense. And he shows up at his house and tries to like murder the kid. But the kid is, it's basically like home alone, but French and on Christmas Eve and there's murder. I can dig it. That actually sounds like a cool setup. Um, the kid is dressed like Rambo throughout the whole movie. Oh, I mean, it sounds very French. <laughs> well, I, I love anything French. I will watch French Extremity, French horror. I don't care. I'm there for it. It's a fun movie. I think it's on Shutter too. So yeah. if you have it, it's very Christmassy. Definitely watch it. I There's know. a dog that dies in it though. So if that you're anti that. I love how like you really have to like set people up for that. Like it can be like the most violent movie ever, and like you can see people have their organs ripped out. But like if a dog or a cat dies, you have to like emotionally prepare yeah. people. I am one of those people. Like I literally like I have to be prepared to know that I'm going to see an animal die. People disposable. <laughs> I always give like the disclaimer because I know people will lose their fucking mind over it. Um, I'm very surprised when it happens. Like, children and animals are usually, like, very taboo. So, we're going to start our horror trivia. I'm, I'm betting on you. I'm sure you're going to do well. There's no way, like... There's no way you're going to do bad. I believe in you. All right. So, our first question... We're going to start nice and easy. What movie is the following quote from? Do you like scary movies? It's from Scream. Yep, you got one point. That was correct. All right, question two. In which horror film does the phrase, the power of Christ compels you, appear? The Exorcist. That's correct. So you got two points now. I'm on a roll. Right. <laughs> In 2005... What 1953 horror movie was remade with Paris Hilton in the lead role? House of Wax. Yep. Okay. See, you're on a roll. It's, it's nice and easy. All right, go for it. <laughs> what horror movie uses the following tagline? In space, no one can hear you scream. Alien. You don't even need a timer. All right. Question five. In Carrie 1976, 
when she takes the stage at her prom, what type of animal blood is dumped on her by bullies? Pigs. Are you ready for like the harder questions? I'm horrified. Like I'm so confident now, and now you're gonna like really fucking over. Right, bring it on. Ugh. In the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, what is Nancy's street address? Fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? Is it like one eight one eight? I I I fuck. I don't remember, man. I don't know. <laughs> 1428 Elm Street. Oh my God. I'm not good with those kinds of details. You can ask me a cast like <laughs> question or something, but God, I should know. I guess I should know that. In which film did Annabelle the doll make her debut? Oh, I feel like this is going to be wrong. I'm going to say The Conjuring, but I think that's wrong. Yeah. Oh. The Conjuring. Okay. What is the actual name of Chucky in Child's Play? I'm so mad. I can't think of it. Oh my god! I'm. I'm. I, I just, you're gonna say I'm gonna be pissed off at myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Charles Lee Ray. Fuck, man! And I've even been watching the series. It was just a moment. Pressure of the moment. I'm sorry. What uh, season are you on? I haven't watched the the newest one, but I really oh, love like the twist that has happened. Like I love. First of all, I love that they're bringing Devin Sawa back consistently. Is he in the the newest season? So season two just came out on Peacock like two days ago, and I haven't watched it because it wasn't on Peacock yet, but he is in season two as a priest. No, right, right. But I'm saying, is he, have they announced yet if he is coming back for season three and like the- I mean, he better. Like, it's like a thing. I feel like it's like a running thing at this point. Yeah. That he just comes back as a different character. I love what they're doing with it. I think it's the perfect format for um, Child's Play. I also love like what they've done with like having his daughter come back and like play like the flashbacks of him and everything. I thought that was so well. She handled. does such a good job, doesn't she? Oh my gosh, she's such a good actress in general. I love seeing her in things, and I love that she's like they've tied in like they literally tied in every element of of the Child's Play series into this this TV series, and I love like that they're not trying to really retcon like any of it. Um, I think that's really kind of awesome. How often do you really get that where you have a series that's consistent from like beginning to end? You know. Next question. Feel it? You have to get this question right. It's it's basically a freebie. What is the demon's name from The Exorcist? Oh, Pazuzu. Which I would have known either way. Like, let's be clear, I do know The Exorcist. <laughs> What is the name of the clown character from Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects? Captain Spaulding. In the first Friday the 13th film, how many people does Jason murder? Ooh, oh my god, that's so good. Um, I'm going to say... Oh wait, Jason, Jason doesn't murder anybody, but he technically grabs um, her and pulls her in the vision, so, but she's still alive, so nobody. You're right. You just squeezed it right in at the end. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. What is the room number for the room that Dick Halloran tells Danny to stay away from in The Shining? Oh, my God. Oh my God. Room two. They even made a documentary about it. Why? Trivia is not my thing. Room two, four, seven. Just throw another. Close. Room two, three, seven. Fuck. God 
Damn it. I'm such a fucking asshole. I'm so mad. I see The Shining as one of my top favorite movies of all time. Everyone always asks, what's your favorite horror movie? I'm like, The Shining. Here I am not even getting the goddamn room number. Would you ever stay at the hotel that it's based on? Absolutely. Though it sounds very difficult to get there. It's like in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. Maybe like two hours from the airport. And you have to get waitlisted for the room. I mean, fuck, obviously. I mean, aside from the shining association with it, like, it's just a beautiful, scenic, middle-of-nowhere resort space. Like, I mean, it just seems, like, perfect for an escape. And, like, those, oh, my God, the surroundings. They even have the room where Stephen King stayed at that you can rent out. Uh, That's supposedly, the whole place is supposed to be very haunted. I mean... It seems ripe for a haunting. Um, what do you feel about um, Dr. Sleep? What were your thoughts of it? I actually really loved Dr. Sleep because I loved Rose of the Hat. Oh, like, I mean, same answer. Rose the Hat, I mean, she's a hot bitch. I would join the true knot in a heartbeat, and I would slaughter little children for their powers. Full circle, look at us, talking about killing right. kids again. And, like, <laughs> I love that movie because of that, like, violently killing children. Um, I, I loved it, and I'm not somebody who necessarily was going in, like willing to like love it because it was associated with the shining i was actually very skeptical um and i love that it won me over rose the hat is one of the best villains of like the last like 30 years i think that movie deserves so much credit more credit than it gets i completely skipped it when it was in theaters but i watched the director's cut when it came out on hbo and i fell in love with it i thought it was a great movie i had a great time and um i fell in love with rose she's so cool she's a badass I want those powers. I want that hat. We're almost done with the trivia. How long did filming for the Blair Witch Project take? Was it five days? Mm, A little bit more. Three months? Eight days. Oh, I, I knew it was like a limited amount of days. We covered it recently. But you know what? You want to hear something? I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I think... Blair Witch has like two camps. You love it or you hate it. Um, I'm one of the very few that kind of falls indifferently in the middle. I think it's because I first saw it like on it. I never saw it in theaters. I saw it on a TV. And like, I think that's half the experience that people seem to take away from that movie is their memory of seeing it in theaters. But it doesn't do a lot for me. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of first person in general. I like some of them though. Like I love like documentary styles that are like, uh, Taking a Deborah Logan, I think, is a phenomenal film. I love the Wreck series and Quarantine, I think, is really great. Oh my God, Wreck 1 terrified me. Right, right. But Blair Witch just has never blown my skirt up, but I respect the fuck out of what they did. You know, I think, like, holy shit, like, that's an indie filmmaker's dream. And they did something very original. I think the documentary footage itself looks very real. I just think the scare factor is not totally there Plus, for me. Back then, when that came out, the internet was basically non-existent. No one knew if that was real or not. At least at least for me, like, I must have been in maybe first or second grade at the time. Right. And I remember adults talking about it, being terrified, and I had no idea. I thought it was real myself. Um, but I watched it the moment it came out on VHS. I didn't get it, but I did fall in love with Book of Shadows. I think that was part two. And I know, like, no one likes that movie, but... I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was charming. I like some of the visuals in Book of Shadows, and I like that. Um, and I like that Erica Learson is in it. I like her a lot. Um, I really like her in Wrong Turn Two. 
I very much enjoy her in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Um, she has a few good titles to her name, and I think Book of Shadows is one of her earlier projects. Um, yeah, you know, I think Blair Witch, it's funny to me, they keep trying to, like, recapture it and, like, reboot it. Like, every few years, like, it comes up. Like, how do you recreate the experience that people had in theaters for the exact reasons that you just mentioned? Like, again, I respect the fuck out of what they did with that movie. The reason it hit so hard is because it was kind of just on the cusp of the internet. Enough that people could search for it, but could also be very much, like, I think, led astray to believe that it was real because the internet was still, like, very much starting to just get its grasp over the public conscious. Um, and so I think it was like the perfect storm, the perfect timing for it to be a massive hit. Everything else that follows after it that tries to do the same thing just pales in comparison because of that alone. So I think Book of, Book of Shadows and anything Blair Witch to come, I don't think is ever going to really ever truly recapture that because the big shtick of it was the idea of is it real, is it not, you know? Um, but hey, I, I think that the the idea behind Blair Witch is quite terrifying. I would love to see that explored more. Um, I think that it's just a matter of the right team taking it on, which seems to have not happened yet, you know? All right. We only have two questions left. Oh, God. Okay. In the original Leprechaun, the 1993 one, which famous actress was introduced in their debut role? The one Jennifer Aniston, with the best legs in the business. <laughs> All right, one more. In Clive Barker's original novel, The Hellbound Heart, what is Pinhead's real name? Isn't he referred to as the, the, the priest? Close. Or um, the priestess. Is it the priestess? Hell priest. Hell priest. No, I, my mind went priestess because they went with that whole androgynous approach with the, with the recent one. What do you think of that one? Did you like it? I did. I'm a pretty big fan of Clive Barker. Mm -hmm. Like before I even had the blog, uh, I was chasing Clive Barker and all his like live in buddies. And I got access to a bunch of like his advanced reader copies of his books and stuff like that. So I got to read the Scarlet Gospels when it before it came out. And that is basically like the final story for Pinhead. He makes it very clear that he hates being called Pinhead. Um, but back to Hellraiser, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. The one thing I didn't like was that it's very clear from the myth of the series that when you open the box, it's your desire that calls Pinhead. And in the movie, they kind of don't follow that rule throughout it. Like they can kind of show up even without it. And that kind of bothered me because even in the Hellraiser series, um, one of the bad guys tricks someone else to open the box and pinhead was basically like, you didn't open it. So I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for that person. And it was a very important part of the whole pinhead myth. It's the desire that calls him. So when you have it in the new movie where he just shows up or where they just show up without opening the box, it kind of breaks the whole thing. The box has to call pinhead. That's a really interesting approach. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, your issues with it. Um, I think the artistic design of it was so strong that it won me over inevitably. I think like overall the storyline was like 13 ghosts. Like it really is like, it was beautiful in being chased by these creatures. And the design though, is just like, so 
mind-blowingly well done. Like I highly prefer the design from that versus honestly, like I love Pinhead, you know, the eighties visual. I love him for what he is, but it has not aged well. Like you don't look no. at Pinhead and it's, think scary. It was very ahead of its time for the eighties. I feel eighties yeah. and it's very, very nineties. Yeah. It doesn't translate well to 2022. No, I think the movie itself. Now the new one is great. Yeah. The look, the aesthetic, I loved it. I loved the movie. I thought it was good. The only part I, I didn't like was the fact that he was not bound to the puzzle box. I didn't like the final scene. I, I, I would have cut that part out. You know, the part where they're like stripping him away and turning him in yeah. to one of them. Um, I didn't like that part. I didn't think it looked that great, but I loved it. I thought yeah. it was a, it was a fun movie. I was surprised that Hulu put that out. I would like to see them expand upon that that approach, you know, and, and bring back uh, Jamie Clayton as as I mean Pinhead, but yeah, as a help priest, just because I think like for any flaws that did exist within it, because it was kind of formulaic. Some of the characters were kind of thin, but whatever, I can fucking get past it. That the presence of of the priest in that film is just so chilling. Like it's rare that you have a villain figure that's that translates to to film that well. I was really, really blown away by that performance, and of course, having proper trans representation in any genres, also, but let alone giving them a badass fucking villain that just owns every moment that they're on camera. I mean, that was that was really awesome and empowering. I'm really hoping to see if they revisit it. I don't know if they will, but I just want to. Well, see I'm more pretty from sure that. we have a a Hellraiser series in the works for HBO. I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on that, um, but I'm pretty sure Clive Barker is on a project for an HBO series, which I can't wait for. I mean, I'm down for that. Is there anything you'd like to bring attention to, to our listeners? Any books? music albums, movies, anything, anything that you think anyone should have a look at. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be horror related. It could be just anything. It could be general. anything you want. Anything that you think you'd like to promote. Absolutely. This is my favorite question ever. Um, I am literally obsessed with one chapel Roan. She's a musician. If you're a Taylor Swift fan, you're probably going to love her. But also if you're sick of Taylor Swift and want somebody that is a singer songwriter that, in my opinion, I don't want to say does it better, but does it better. Um, I think she's got a really wide spectrum of potential. Um, she's young. She's queer. She's unabashedly queer. And her music's catchy as hell. Look her up. I recommend the song Pink Pony Club. That's my my favorite song of, uh, I would say, like the 2020s thus far. Uh, so that's who I'm really digging. Um, yeah, I, I love music. I'm a huge Kesha fan and supporter, and I feel her journey's been really... Um, kind of heartbreaking and this last album got just buried so yeah that, I mean music is I love music I can't you know do anything musical so I think I, I I wish it's the one thing in my life I think I wish I really had a talent and I just don't um, but I do fucking love listening to it so live music I'm all about um, and yeah I don't know I mean like I, I'm almost hesitant to just even say anything horror based because I like that this is like such an open ended question. So I went for like something totally out of nowhere. I hope that's okay. What's the most recent horror movie you watched? <sighs> um, ooh, like in theaters, I saw Talk to Me and I really, 
absolutely fucking loved it. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. Like, I mean, it's doing well. It's it's I think about to hit like seventy million if it hasn't already surpassed it on like what like a four million dollar budget and like Australian horror. I'm all I'm all for that. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it, it kind of went against my expectations. It gave me a very like classic setup and then everything it did from there on out was unexpected. Um, so I very much liked it. Did you see that one yet? I did. I really liked it. I had no idea what it was going to be about. Honestly, I knew it was like Sans related, but I was very pleasantly surprised and I really liked it. I can't wait because A24 is putting out a replica of the hand that you can buy. It's not out yet, but they teased it, and I'm definitely going to waste a lot of money on that. I don't know if I want to bring that kind of bad oh, juju no. into my I think you could tell, like, oh. I will be sitting there with my candle, screaming, talk to me into the void. God, for hours. <laughs> Please come, Pazuzu. Oh, my God. All right. So where can everyone find you? Find me on the socials. I'm on, um, I'm on Instagram, the Scream Queer. Um, I'm so happy I got that when I did. I know so many of you want that fucking handle. You can't have it. Um, <laughs> no. So yeah, Instagram, um, X, is it even called Twitter anymore? I don't fucking know. I'm on it. Um, I'm, I'm on all the new ones too. Like Blue Sky. I just found out about that. I got on it. I don't fucking know. Um, but mostly Instagram. I'm a big Instagram fan. Um, and that's where I tend to, you know, share most of my material. Yes. And make sure you check out Roger's indiegogo definitely support it please do please you can yeah definitely like if you're going to look up any project of mine i would say look up like meet the movie on instagram as well because it it does have its own page um and um please check out the indiegogo because we're off to a really strong start but we got to keep that momentum going i want to bring great great queer cinema great queer horror cinema uh to the fan base because i know there's a lot of us and i want to make sure you guys are proud so Fortunately, that takes money, and I don't have any more. <laughs> so for all these practical effects, because it's all practical, I need I need to fund these great effects, and there's a lot of them. There's an unusually high body count. Um, so I can promise a lot of hot gay dudes getting slaughtered, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I So will there's also... no CG blood? No, no, no CG blood. It's all practical blood. It's all practical blood. All practical. I'm, I'm always very hesitant with CGI. We had to lean into some of it for rebirth because we had some some technical issues that we are like, honestly trying to cover up. Um, and I, I very much try to avoid anything digital unless it's like a light. Like I like adding like a couple digital stars to a night sky. Okay. That's pretty. I'll take that. But I'm not, I don't, I want it to be an enhancer, not a, um, not a moment that relies on it. I'd rather have the real blood cause nothing's going to recreate that, you know? Yeah. That's, that's how I like it. Like these people that just rely on it as a crutch, it never looks good. Yeah. It never looks good. It never, it takes you out of it. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And then I will say if there's anything else to really like keep your eyes or ears out for, it is Dark Knight of the Podcast. That is my podcast that I co-host with director Troy Escamilla, who directed um, Teacher Shortage, which I'm in. He directed Mrs. Claus, Party Night. So he is a formerly Houston-based, now um, Las Vegas-based filmmaker. Um, we are about 115 episodes in and counting. We just covered Scream 4, a personal favorite. Um, and every episode, we do a deep dive into a classic horror title. We like obscure titles, especially. Um, and so, like I said, we're 115 episodes in and just counting by the week. Uh, we'll add them on. We're pretty consistent, so that's that's pretty awesome. And we have a Patreon as well, so... 
all worth visiting. Uh, we have a lot of material, and I hope you all enjoy that as well. Check them out. That wraps up episode 11 of our podcast. It's been a nightmare. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LLC, as well as on TikTok at HorrorPress. Don't be afraid to reach out and let us know what you think on social media, and be sure to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. We look forward to seeing you soon for the next episode of the Horror Press Podcast.